Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a while. It has been a while. Welcome into the Orlando Soccer Show. My name is Austin David, joined by Gavin Eubank. And uh, for those who may not have listened to us uh, in the last, I don't know, year, welcome in. Because, you know, uh, it's 2021. We haven't done an episode since 2020. It's been a whole year. <laughs> yeah. Ha. It. I mean, listen, the way 2020 went, it basically it felt like a whole last year uh, to get to this point. Hey, we made it, and that's what matters. And so welcome to 2021. The new era of Orlando City has begun, and we are here to talk about everything that we have missed since December, because we haven't recorded anything since then. You know, just enjoying the off season, enjoying the time off that we we don't really have to talk about soccer as much. But we figured we'd come in, just kind of do a quick update on things. You know, new contracts are being signed. Guys are getting called up to the U.S. men's national teams and guys are getting traded. The Super Draft is coming up. The Pride are making some moves. The U.S. women's national team are playing in Orlando. A lot of stuff going on in the soccer world now. And I figured, you know, we should probably get something out there and, and talk about all the fun things going on in the world of Orlando soccer. And so here we are. And so here is Gavin as well. Hi, Gavin. How are you doing? I've been talking for a minute. I'm doing pretty well. You know, like you said, we have been gone for the last six or seven weeks. A lot has happened. You know, since the last time we recorded, not only has all that happened, we now have a COVID vaccine in the world. The United States Capitol is under siege. And as of noon today, on Wednesday, we have a new administration in the White House. So a lot has gone on in that short period of time. And, uh, you know, in between that, when we're recording and when you're hearing this, a million more things are probably going to happen. So, yeah, uh, this this episode will be outdated before you hear it. Uh, it'll be outdated in some things. Uh, hopefully not too many. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Fingers crossed here. Um, we're we're going to talk about the things that have happened and the things that will happen, uh, at least that are scheduled to happen mm-hmm. uh, to this point. And, and then we'll we'll go from there. And if anything happens in between, well, we tried. And that's all that matters. <laughs> yes. Just we want the listeners to know we are doing our best, even if it does not appear that most of the time. Uh, it depends on what level your your best is considered, I guess. <laughs> um, well, new year, new vibes only in 2021. So my best is, is at new highs right now. <laughs> all right. Let us begin with Orlando City. Since we have last spoken back in December, Orlando City has signed a few players to new contracts, uh, most notably their center back pairing. Uh, Robin Janssen signed a new contract, a two-year contract with a two-year club option. And to go along with him, I believe we talked about it last week, time we recorded but Antonio Carlos signed a new contract as well you know that was back in the first day of December they signed Antonio Carlos as well as Mauricio Pereira having not only Robin Janssen but also Antonio Carlos for a long-term contract this is something that Gavin and I talked about this is the first time that Orlando City has had a center back pairing for a multitude of years for the first time in their MLS history and that can't be understated at all, considering how bad this defense has been historically, 
considering that there has been so much turnover in the back line, especially with center backs. This is a, a big win for the Lions before they even step on the field for 2021. Yeah, I mean, when you think about building a team, you start with the center, the spine of the field, and that includes and is primarily headed by who you have on the back line as your center back pairings, assuming you're, you know, you're playing a, a typical two back formation like that. But for Orlando City, and this just kind of shows how hard it has been, not just for Orlando, but in general to find a decent pairing. Like you said, this is going to be the first time really where we've gone from one season to the next, knowing ahead of time. All right, these are the guys that are going to be locked in. And not only that, but these are going to be the guys that you can count on to pr- to produce results and deliver for you across the span of a 32-game season. And that's going to be, like you said, a big deal because it's one less thing that Oscar Perea has to worry about. It's one less thing they have to plan for now uh, whenever the season inevitably gets underway. And it's, it's a big deal to be able to carry over the success that this team had from last season. Uh, also assuming that Juan and Jean Martini are going to be the guys next to them. That that chemistry along the back line is sustained now, heading into a brand new campaign. Yeah, and the chemistry throughout that back line has has been important. Uh, the consistency of the back line ha- was important until basically August, when Jean Martini went down with his injury and is now going to be out for at least another couple months which means three of the four in the back line will be there. But now there's a gaping hole on that left side with no one to fill because Kamal Miller is gone. He was picked up by Austin FC in the expansion draft and then promptly traded for, quite frankly, an insane amount of cash for his position and and, and his his caliber, I guess. It it was a, a bit of an unexpected trade. You know, Kamal Miller being picked up was not necessarily surprising. He was one of the young players that was available. He had a high ceiling, and, you know, there, there was definitely a lot to like from him. But then he is Canadian, and the Canadian club, the Montreal Impact, or what, what are they called now? They are Club du Foot Montreal. Club, club de Foot. Club de Foot. Whoa not touch that name or that logo it's (laughs) Uh, let's just say that most club de foot fans are not happy with their club de foot listen as everybody knows the only way for major league soccer to become the greatest soccer league in the world is authenticity to be authentic and the only way to be authentic is to be just like everybody else yep so because everyone was clamoring for a name change to the very unique Montreal Impact. Yep. Yep. That was what was holding the Montreal Impact back. Not the fact that they have been bad at soccer for the last decade. Not the fact that they have very few recognizable names on their team. In fact, they don't really have any recognizable names now that Ignacio Piatti's gone. But that that's what has been holding them back is the Montreal Impact. That name, that branding. All of the Montre- you could say the Montreal Impact are holding the Montreal Impact back. Yeah. The biggest impact that they have made so far on this club is not getting rid of the impact. Uh, and the crazy thing about that logo is that it looks like... I forget. There, there's a certain city 
in the U.S. that has like the same logo, like the exact same logo. Yeah, I think like as... Bloomingdale, Bloomington, or something like that. Indiana, it's been pointed yeah. out, has a town crest just like that. Mm-hmm. So that's funny. It also bears a slight resemblance to the school flag from Community. <laughs> well, Greendale. Yeah, Greendale. Oh my God. Was it E pluribus anus? <laughs> the little butthole. People people were joking that the logo literally looked like a cat's anus. Anyway, big big fail from Montreal there for sure. Um, listen, I'm okay with it. I mean, listen, if you're going to change it to anything, it's not that bad. I mean, they're going with the Montreal and the French language. Yeah, 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 you're sticking with the, it's the got brand some localness of, to it, but. Again, sure. I don't think that this is going to... But at least, like, the Chicago Fire realized they fucked up. And they're like, okay, let's let's get the input of our fans to design our new logo. Because they they've already given up on their new logo a year in. They're like, yeah, that, this was a horrible idea. Louisville and did then, the same thing. Right. And, and I think Chicago's Montreal, working with the guy who did that Louisville rebrand. And yes. came up with the racing Louisville logo as well. But... The craziest part of all of this is Montreal was able to look at Chicago, look at Louisville, and be like, those were great ideas. Let's do what they did and not get input from anybody else. Let's just do what we want to do, and it'll work out just fine. Yeah, especially when you're Because it worked out so great for the other two teams. Right. Back to Kamal Miller. Uh, he was traded for 225000 in general allocation money and $50,000 in conditional general allocation money and the 11th pick in the 2021 MLS Super Draft. That's a haul. If if Orlando City knew they could get that for Kamal Miller, they would have probably done it. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, who's to say that they weren't getting offers like that for Kamal Miller and knowing that Joe Matini was going to be out, they probably held him tightly enough to think, all right, we're, we're going to need, we don't have left back depth already. We're going to need this guy for but the first couple here, months of the season, assuming the season starts in March, which does not look like it's going to, and we're going to need him to play. And very clearly Montreal also thinks highly of him enough to say, you know what? Austin's going to pick this guy up for us. They're going to get him, and we'll give Austin the money if Orlando's not willing to sell. And unfortunately for Kamal Miller, or fortunately for Kamal Miller, he was going to be in a good spot either way, but this looks like a pretty good spot for him long term at least. I mean, he's probably going to get some more playing time. But the, the point of the matter is, regardless of if Orlando City knew they were getting offers, why leave him unprotected then? Because they knew he was potentially going to get picked. And Orlando City could have gotten $225,000. Instead, they got $50,000. Total. Well, I mean, and then Austin got two twenty-five plus 50 plus the 11th uh, first-round pick. I mean, I guess it depends on who you would have taken off that protected list. I mean, when you look at it. But at that point, if if they're leaving Kamal Miller unprotected, why not just sell him before the draft happens? You know? Yeah. I mean, maybe you're just not anticipating that Austin's going to take them, which it's a risky move. There's got to be some semblance of, like, an understanding there. You know? There's got to be some talks within league circles to know that, like, 
there are probably teams interested. If there's already teams contacting them about Kamal Miller, they got to know there's somebody that's going to pick him. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, it, only Austin would be able to, but there's somebody that could trade for him after Austin picks him. Right. And obviously, I mean, this is all well settled in the past, but when you look at that expansion draft protected list, I mean, if there's a name that you're going to pull off there potentially, I mean, Rodrigo Schleichel, you replace Kamal Miller with him, maybe you see more value. I I, I, I think fans would re- would have revolted if, if <laughs> for some reason Rodrigo Schleichel gets picked. Yeah. Well, you know, here we are now. The season starts in an unknown amount of months, and Orlando City does not have a left back for opening day. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's as we'll get on to later in this uh, discussion about Orlando City with the draft coming up. It's going to be a need. It is very much a need. Uh, do they go with a, a rookie left back, or do they maybe trade a draft pick for an experienced left back? These are the... Uh, these are the questions that need to be asked. Yeah. I mean, it It certainly is going to depend clearly on what the timetable for Zhao looks like. If they say, you know, what, four to six months from early December when he had surgery, you're looking at, what, April at the earliest is when he's probably going to start to be back into some form of training. And I would June say probably the latest. L- yeah. late summer is when you may see him, like, back in and potentially in the fold for a spot on the field. Right. I mean, if you're if we're talking about games not starting until at least April at the earliest, that assuming that is assuming that he is also going to have to play games because he hasn't played since what August. It's mm-hmm. been a very long time since he has. I would played I would probably say around. Fans. I would say probably around August is when you may see him back. To yes. be completely honest, like a full year after he got injured in Atlanta. I think is when you might see him back again. Yeah, I mean, it's realistic that we're looking at a 34-game schedule and Joe Mantini is probably going to miss half those games. Or if he is playing in some of those games, they're going to be slowly working him back in. They're going to be smaller appearances if he's getting those. So, yeah, I mean, you're going to have to look at adding a significant chunk of depth to a position that was already very thin to begin with. So... Maybe they're looking outside of the league as well because obviously international signings have not been up to speed really so far this winter with COVID and the international yeah, restrictions. It's, it, and it's it's such it's a made weird. It it's such a weird situation with just trying to bring players in from outside. Yeah, you know, not an easy time for any club right now. Right. If you look at you know some of the potential free agents on the market. Um, you know, Waylon Francis is a player that pops out, but I think was he not picked up by Columbus again? Sounds possible. Like I don't think it's official, but he's apparently going back. So that's a uh, uh, that would have been yeah. a, a, a veteran option that they could have picked up. Yeah, they uh, a lot of people have a, couple weeks a lot of people have thrown out Mohamed El Manir. And like, oh, bring him back, bring him back. But um, I don't know. If you're desperate. It's kind of the way I look at that. Yeah, it, it really depends on, you know, if the price is right, I guess, too. Mm-hmm. Either way, it, it's interesting. It, it's very interesting to try and figure out what this team will do. Because realistically, 
that is that is the position of need right now not just for right now in the immediate future but in the further future because they need depth at that position right when you talk about building a contending team that's an area that still needs to be addressed before you can start to say this club is ready to go toe-to-toe with the deepest rosters in the league of one of a few positions that they still have to look at because obviously right now the striker position still looks a little bit thin behind daryl dk um and you could probably make an argument for the central midfield as well but I think left back definitely is the most glaring need at the moment still. Speaking of areas of need and depth and whatnot, the uh, 2021 MLS Super Draft is just around the corner. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, it will be uh, within, you know, what is it, a day? So it is on Thursday at 2 o'clock. Yes. So tomorrow, by the time this episode actually comes out, is when the 2021 MLS Super Draft will happen. It will obviously happen online, not in person, all via conference call and web streaming, much like the uh, 2021 NWSL Super Draft. Uh, but hopefully that goes a bit better uh, than that did, because that the NWSL Super Draft was uh, uh, it was something. And I'll get into that when we talk. From about From what NWSL, I understand, the first round is still currently going on. Is that true? I'm getting like flashbacks of that and uh, just pain pain good times anyway 2021 mls super draft orlando city has two first round picks and one second round pick that's it unless they trade but they have late picks for the first time they are outside of the top 15 so that that's progress in and of itself is that for the first time Ever, Orlando City is not picking in the top 15. Not in yeah. the top 10, even. On one hand, it's nice when Orlando City has those high picks because they have brought us guys like Kyle Laren and Chris Mueller and Daryl DK. But on the other hand, it means that Orlando City had a good season. So, you know, good with the bat. Right. I, I will say, though, uh, 2017... They, they did not have any draft picks except for Danny Deacon because um, they, they I remember being at that draft and like talking with Jason Christ trying to get him to say like oh we're going to trade for something oh we're going to do this and he's just like yeah, probably not and they didn't and like that that entire coaching staff was just sitting there for two hours doing nothing mm-hmm. and then I was sitting there doing just about nothing I ended up talking to like Adrian Heath and some of the you know other younger kids but like that was yeah that was a bit of a waste of a draft for Orlando City but that was the only draft 2017 was the only draft they didn't have a pick in the first 10 that was back in an era during which all Orlando City clubs saw the college drafts as just a waste of time yes what a time what a time what a time now we're in an area where we have guys running the club who value youth, who value these things. And it's going to be interesting to see kind of what they do for the first time in an area where the best players available to them are not going to be some of the best players available in the draft. Now, at picks 19 and 22, there will still be very good soccer players available for them, but they're not going to be the consensus top five picks like Orlando is used to getting. And that's going to be interesting to see what kind of value they find out of those spots. 
Right. And the thing with Oscar Pereja is that he often values the college game mm-hmm. more than most people would. And he has been not shy about sharing his opinions on the college game and how, you know, he says it's an integral part of the American way and, you know, society and, and the way that players are able to come out and, and still contribute. He sees their value. And I think that because of that, they could find value in these two late first round picks, mm-hmm. especially in a year that you may not be able to see these players play at all because a lot of these players had their seasons canceled. Right. And there was no combine this year, whether you hold that to be valuable or not for these players to even get together and and show off in front of the coaches and these technical directors and scouts. So it is going to be interesting just all around how this turns out, you know, when we look back at it, two, three years down the road, we can start to say, yeah, these guys were real hits or this was a, pretty big bust of a class right um if there was a player that maybe could drop down to orlando city uh that would probably be in an area of need i would say it would be maryland left back matt derosa uh he had a breakout season back in 2018 he's been a good consistent left back in college he's not flashy but he's consistent and Consistency in the back line is is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but he's also he's also from what I've heard from scouting reports, pretty good at crossing as well, and is not afraid to get into the attack. And that's gonna be a, you know, when you describe that. That sounds like an ideal candidate, considering the kind of player that Jean Moutinho is. Very mm-hmm. similar to that. Um, and if you're not gonna have that, out obviously, assuming they draft this kid, I don't know that he's going to be playing right away but that is the skill set that you want from that position that Oscar Pereja wants from that position that would fit in very nicely with his style now outside of left back depth I would say probably the second thing they would need is a goalkeeper a backup goalkeeper right now if they do not re-sign Brian Rowe which it's it can it's seemingly unlikely to this point as time goes on that Brian Rowe will not be back with the club and they're going to ride with Mason Sadahar as the backup. It wouldn't hurt for Orlando City to go ahead and just draft a backup goalkeeper out of college. Either that or sign one out of the academy. I was going to say, sure, if you're going to sure grab another goalkeeper off for the roster, I'd, I would personally lean towards someone that at least has professional experience because, I mean, Staduhar, what he played some games with Tulsa, but is is he your backup? Is he your Brian Rowe when Gillespie is out on international duty? I don't personally see that. So, I, I mean, mean here's I don't, the, here's I don't the thing. think that backing up Staduhar with another brand-new goalkeeper is the way to go. I, I think with Mason, it's gotten to the point where you got to give him an opportunity at the very least, to be able to show that he belongs with Orlando City. He has been here since he was, what, 17 years old? Mm-hmm. And the first been, homegrown signing? Right. That was back in the end of the 2015 season mm-hmm. that he signed. And he has been mired in, in just sitting on the bench and training. He's just just started to get games in. And yes, you could also say, like, 
you know, he had cancer and he had to deal with that. That is definitely a, a point to bring up. But since then, he has, you know, gotten some time with Tulsa. He's gotten some time with OCB. Uh, and he's 22 years old now. He is the age that most keepers coming out of college are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you could you could go with a, a keeper in the draft, maybe a late second rounder, loan him out to OCB and have him play down there. Or you could sign a, a you know a cheap veteran goalkeeper, but I think that now is a a time to at least give Mason a shot to earn that spot behind Pedro Galese. Yeah, no, I mean I get it and I agree with you because at this point, if they if that's not in the plans, then why is he here? Why are they stringing him along unless it's because of what he's gone through in the last couple of years, you obviously don't want to kick a player while they're down. And that would have been probably a really shitty thing to do on Orlando's end to just say like, Hey, we don't really see you in the plans. We're going to let you go now. So listen, I, that probably has something to do with it. It's very possible. Um, but yeah, it, he's the longest tenured Orlando city player and he hasn't played a single minute with the club yet. And to this point, he's been in the picture almost none of the time. So if you're not going to do it, then I I do agree. Then this is the time to to give him his shot. But uh, if it's not, then certainly more contingency plans need to be made to go around that. Right. And I think that's going to be what they kind of have to look at going forward. Is is what what's the plan? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that they they know already. But we are left to wonder. So again, Orlando City. 19th overall, 22nd overall, 49th overall. That is what they have to choose from. And it, it really is anyone's guess who they try and pick up because uh, it's not a guarantee. They're not in the top 10. There's there's not a, a select player, you know, number of players that they could choose from. It's, it's very wide open. The way that this team scouts players, um, you, you probably see a surprise name come out of that draft. Uh, but we'll see. So going on from the MLS super draft and talking about, you know, players that have made impacts, I suppose, uh, going from last year's super draft, Daryl DK, uh, he had a quite an incredible year, all things considered breakout season with Orlando city scored eight goals, in his his multitude of appearances for Orlando City, got himself a call up to U.S. Men's National Team, got into the January camp for the U23s, could be on the in the cards for the U.S. in the Olympics, etc. What what a year for Daryl DK. At only twenty years of age, he has already gotten to this point. What a year for. Yeah, I mean, DK, not even a year, like a six months. He didn't make his debut with Orlando until July. And then from that, to turn that into a call-up for the national team, whether official or not official, is still, it's pretty damn impressive for him when you look at that that trajectory and the confidence in the, I mean, it really goes back to Oscar Perea giving him that opportunity and showing that belief in him. And he just simply ran with it. And, you know, the trajectory that he has gone on and what he has now made for Orlando City and quickly being able to move on from Dom Dwyer in the way that it's been able to because they don't have to 
continue to hope that he's going to be along because they have this guy now who's on a path to become very good in mm-hmm. his own rights. Yeah, and, and and that's the thing. The, the ceiling is so high for Daryl DK that this is hopefully just the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, with the U.S. Men's National Team call-up, he was not alone in that department. Uh, Chris Mueller also was called up back in December, scored a brace in his first appearance, uh, had an assist as well. Very, very good performance from him. Uh, against Speaking a, of a crazy year. Yeah. I mean, again, the, the opponent wasn't necessarily the strongest. You know, it's El Salvador. They, they weren't really in, in any danger of losing. But... In a 6-0 game, you're responsible for half the goals. I'd say that's still pretty good. Yeah. Could even argue that he he should have had two assists. That that the first goal that was scored, it probably should have been an assist. Yeah. On your debut on that stage, I think if there's one thing we've learned about Chris is that he doesn't he doesn't back down from the spotlight, from the pressure. He certainly can can handle that and he went out there and he made his name known to that to this entire national team fan base that he is someone that has been in the discussion about getting called up for quite some time and to many there was some doubt in that I think he quieted all those doubters and has certainly put himself in a position to feature as solid depth for the national team down the road now for Berhalter yep um outside of those two who have been actually called up to the you know, U.S. men's national team, a third player, which uh, not too many people were necessarily thinking about at the time he was called up, but now uh, things have changed quite a bit. Andres Perea, who is a dual national, born in Tampa, uh, but raised and, and played most of his career in Colombia. Now, he was a surprise call-up to the U.S. men's national team in January, or December, and then... After that, he wasn't necessarily allowed to play with the U.S. men's national team because he had uh, played for the youth teams of Colombia. And at the time in December, not many people were thinking too much of it. You know, Greg said that, like, he's got a high ceiling and they want to keep tabs on him and this, that, and the other. But I don't think anyone was really considering that Andres Perea would make a switch to the U.S. if he had a future with the Colombian national team. However... Just a week ago, what do you know? Andres Perea makes the one-time switch to the USA. I mean, it, clearly he must have had enough of an impact in that short little time training with the national team to say. And I wonder if it's something, too. Obviously, you'd have to think that Berhalter was in his in his ear a little bit saying, you know, hey, I've liked what you saw. And if this is something that you want to continue to do and you want to continue to get this opportunity, we'd love to have you here. Yep. And obviously that conversation or the multitude of conversations that they had paid dividends because Perea is now a, a U.S. player. Yeah, and you know, and and just like that, in a, in a matter of weeks, Orlando City went from having nobody as a consistent thought for the national team to three players now, all in their early 20s, that have an opportunity to be consistent players with the national team for years to come now. So yeah. that's a very exciting prospect when you think Gavin, of just... do you want do you want to take a guess who was the last player for Orlando City called up to the US national team? 
Um, it was uh, Dom Dwyer technically for like what two do you days. Mean, technically? Well, he was wasn't he called? Did he play in that game that he was called at for January camp before the injury? Played in. Uh, he played against Portugal. It was the last game he played in. Okay. He was called. I, think, I know he was called up for a camp like a year or two ago, and then got hurt and had to leave. Yeah, and that was the last time that he was called up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I believe if I'm not mistaken, he was called up. I believe it was a January camp because it was like right at the start of preseason too that he got hurt. In, uh, 2018, I believe, or 2019. No, 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 no. 2017. It was that long ago. Yeah. He wasn't even with Orlando then. Yeah, he was. Dom Dwyer? Yeah. He was traded to Orlando that summer. Yeah. He's been he's been here quite a long time. Mm. Or at least he was, and he's now a free agent. Yeah. Yeah, but he was traded to Orlando City in twenty seventeen, July twenty fifth, twenty seventeen. His last right. call up that he actually played for the US men's national team was back in november of 2017 right right and then he got called up in that january camp but had to leave with an injury correct the last game he played in was in november of mm. 2017 though mm-hmm. got called up in january of 18 it's been a while it has been a while and before that it was breck shea <laughs> breck shea good times who was at one point this year or last year a usl league one player And then had a some weird resurgence with Miami to the point where he's now re-signed with them at the, at the MLS level. Go figure, man. Go figure. Weird, 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 weird guy. Weird player. I just I'd never understood him, and nobody ever will. Nobody will ever ever understand Breck Shea, including no. Breck Shea. He remains an enigma to himself. Anyway, uh, last thing I want to talk about with Orlando City is one of the four guys uh, we have already mentioned, but Mason Stadahar uh, and three other homegrown players are currently in Mexico training with CF Pachuca, Los Tuzos, as they're known. Uh, They are there for just over a week training with the Mexican side. It is Michael Holiday, David Luera, and Jordan Bender joining Sadahar. And Luis Muzi said that uh, they'll have an opportunity to experience a different soccer culture, a new routine, a new environment. And, you know, any of those small opportunities, take advantage of them. What I always found, what I find interesting about specifically with Pachuca is that it's not one of the team's partner clubs. You know, it's it's not a team in Brazil. It's not... Uh, oh, who, who are the other partner clubs, the sister clubs, you know, that, that Orlando City is partnered with? I feel like they come and go so fast that I can't keep up. Well, I mean, technically, it's Club Atletico Paranaense, Benfica, Stoke City, and Wolfsburg. But, I mean, have you heard anything from any of those teams over the last three years? No. 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 There's been absolutely no partnership between them. And, I, and funny enough, when Luis Muzi was first hired, I asked him about the club affiliations and partnerships. And I'm like, 
what do you do it what do you what do you want to do with these and he's like well if a partnership is in name only then it's not a partnership you know it's, it there's just no point to it if we don't get anything out of it or they don't get anything out of it then that's not a partnership it's just a name mm-hmm. so at this point the affiliated clubs with orlando city are just that in name only so if they haven't done anything to this point don't expect anything later on <laughs> yeah pretty Which much it's a shame because it's you know great opportunities for players you know to, to be able to train in different environments to maybe uh, some youth players for some of the clubs in europe to be able to come over here and get some playing time it really is a shame to not be able to utilize uh that kind of pipeline for talent yeah much like the nycfc uses manchester city as their pipeline in a way yeah Anyways, that's an exciting opportunity for the youngsters to train in Mexico, and hopefully they come into Orlando City having learned a thing or two when preseason starts up. Who knows when? One last thing I do want to mention before we move on to the Orlando Pride, and that is uh, one of the head scouts is leaving Orlando City, Leonardo Baldo. He's been here basically since Ricardo Pereira got to the club. He's been able to, you know, find talent, especially in Brazil and South America, and be able to bring, you know, guys like Juan and to just be able to, to scout those guys. I, I, you know, Ricardo Pereira is still with the club. He is still director of scouting. Um, you're just losing one of your, your guys that is able to kind of identify the talent to be able to tell the head of scouting, hey, this is a guy you should look into more. So you, you lose a resource and, and a, a fairly big one who has found some uh, diamonds in the rough, essentially. Um, who they replace him with is, is anyone's guess. But uh, right now, the job market is not necessarily uh, booming. So that that is another area that uh, Orlando City may need to address sometime soon. However... Because of the team that they have built, you know, they're they're not necessarily clamoring for players in the uh, immediate future other than, you know, left back and goalkeeper. So at least there's that. On to the Orlando Pride. There's actually been a lot of movement with the Pride over the last couple weeks, mainly because of the NWSL draft happening just a week ago. Uh, first off, Alex Morgan has left Tottenham and is technically in, in name back with Orlando pride. What that means for the Orlando pride means is anyone's guess. Uh, will she play this season? Will she opt out and wait until she can join the uh, LA team next year? Uh, will she, um, you know, continue to not play will she have be in good form so many questions no answers but technically she is back with orlando pride and that is that is all you need to know for right for right now at least um yeah (laughs) yeah she is back with orlando there's that she is not with tottenham 
Tottenham yeah. fans are apparently upset with her because she just kind of used Tottenham to be able to train for a couple of weeks, get her fitness back, play like three games, and be like, all right, bye. I mean, that's why most of those players went over there is because there's no, no get real games going on here in the United States. And I mean, the situation with COVID and England at the moment is not amazing, but it's far better than it has been with the United States. So at least you also get to escape that. That, uh, that whole situation there. I think in London, they're in a tier four lockdown, which means like the most restrictions they could possibly put in place. Yeah. So like literally no leaving your house. With games being canceled left and right. It's not great. Nope. Not good at all. All right. Um, I guess I'll quickly talk about the NWSL draft because that just fairly recently happened. That was really the big Orlando Pride news that just happened. With the Orlando Pride and, and the way they drafted, when I asked Mark Skinner after the draft, what was the, the thought process going into it? He said that he wanted to pick players that added good quality, depth, and challenge for starting places. And he picked two midfielders, one forward, slash midfielder, slash defender. She can play like every position. And a goalkeeper. Uh, the the biggest get, I would say, is their ninth overall pick, Viviana Villacorta, uh, who comes out of UCLA, has spent her last three years with the Bruins, and uh, she is a very good midfielder who has played with the youth national team of the U.S. The only thing is, because of the way the college seasons are going, as of right now, UCLA is scheduled to play a spring season, which Via Corta is going to play. And she will join Orlando once the season is over. And the way she put it, hopefully after winning a national championship, which to be fair, UCLA always has a very good opportunity to do so. So one thing I, I wanted to mention uh, with Via Corta, I asked her, like, what, what do you feel like you bring to this team? Uh, and I'll read this quote from her. I think with my experiences in the past with either the national team or with UCLA, I've played with very capable players and really good players that have taught me a lot. And I feel like, at least for me, I bring a lot of connection to the midfield and I think I can definitely thrive with looking like setting up Alex Morgan, Marta, just helping them connect passes everywhere and just kind of cleaning up the midfield and just bringing my style of play to them. So, you know, being able to have a solid midfield is something that Orlando has been needing quite desperately just to be able to connect the midfield that just connect passes to the forwards because they've they haven't really been able to to be as dangerous as I think they want to be and I think that the way that they've drafted these these players kind of gives them more depth to be able to do that outside of Via Corta with the 14th overall pick they picked Michaela Colahan from BYU She's a possession-style midfielder. She likes to attack in, in different ways, trying to be able to get in behind quickly or by combination play. Just, just you know, she wants to be able to get forward, kind of just essentially think of her as an attacking midfielder, but a possession-style attacking midfielder. And I think that's what Mark Skinner is looking for uh, with his team, is to be able to hold possession and be able to dictate the tempo of the game. Uh, their third pick which was 24th overall, was Carrie Abello, who is out of Penn State. And I'm sure 
Uh, Allie Krieger was very happy. In fact, she tweeted that she was very happy with the pick. You know, for a former Nittany Lion herself. Uh, Abello is an everything. She's been listed as a defender, midfielder, and forward. She's played in just about every position, which makes her versatile. And you know how Mark Skinner loves his versatile players because he plays certain players just about everywhere. Um, you've, you've seen, you know, forwards playing right back or right backs playing forwards, you know, or midfielders playing center backs. You, you've seen it all, and you'll probably see a little bit with Carrie Abello as well. Uh, there is no news of her joining the team immediately or after the season is over. Uh, there were some players that were picked uh, in the NWSL draft that are not joining their teams till 2022 because they had an extra year of eligibility. Or there was uh, one girl, I forget who she was drafted by, but she's finishing her master's before she joins her team in 2022. So this was a very weird year for draft picks because there was so much uncertainty with the college game and uh, there's still a bit of uncertainty with these players for Orlando if they're going to be joining on time or if they're going to be joining later on. So at least with Via Corta, she was pretty upfront about it. With Colahan, she didn't really mention it and Abella we didn't get to talk to, so we, we just have no idea. And then the last player that was drafted 34th overall was Kaylee Collins, who is uh, a goalkeeper out of USC. It was a bit of a surprise because of, I mean, the Pride have three goalkeepers on roster already with Ashlyn Harris, Aaron McLeod, and Brittany Wilson. And now they have a fourth. It could be that, you know, Harris is going to be pulled for national team duty during the summer months and they need to be able to have a third goalkeeper that is training with the team. But uh, it, it's not a bad pick. I mean, Collins is a decorated goalkeeper in the Pac-12. You know, goalkeeper of the year in 2018, led regular season shutouts, ninth best goals against average in the NCAA back in 2018. She's an All-American, best 11. You know, she's she's got a lot of accolades and has the stats to back it up over her career. So definitely a, a solid pick uh, for a, a goalkeeper depth pool that is already pretty clustered. So that's the draft for the Pride. Um, I do want to mention also with the Pride that this was the first draft for their new general manager. Ian Fleming was hired as their new GM just a day officially a day before the draft occurred he had actually been working with the team since the first day of december but was not official until just the day before the draft in mid-january but once ian fleming was announced the james bond jokes flew uh, in a multitude of ways for those who don't know ian fleming not this ian fleming but the old uh, now dead ian fleming wrote all of the James Bond books and is very famous for doing so. So naturally, when Ian Fleming was announced, they threw all of the James Bond references out there. Uh, The thing with Fleming, and this is the Pride's Fleming now that I'm talking about, uh, that is interesting with him is that his background isn't necessarily soccer related. Like he wasn't a coach. He wasn't 
uh, you know, he was a player on the field or anything. He was a lawyer. His background comes uh, with a JD, Juris Doctorate, specializing in sports and entertainment law. So he's very well versed in the legal side of sports. Uh, and, you know, he came out of, out of school thinking he was going to be going into law. And then opportunities kind of came with the San Jose Earthquakes, where he became their director of analytics and strategy, as well as their senior manager of business intelligence and analytics. Now, what that screams out is analytics, you know, Moneyball, essentially. If you've seen the movie Moneyball, you you know all about analytics and being able to kind of find, you know, players on the cheap that, that fit certain needs. And uh, it's all about the numbers. And that is something that Fleming has really taken to heart. You know, he has that business aspect of things with the legal side and the business side because he's, you know, manager of business intelligence. But he also has the analytical side where he basically crunches numbers and is able to find players that maybe get overlooked with other teams and be able to bring them in to the pride to be able to uh, enact the vision of the head coach. And he did that most recently with the Houston Dash. And you saw what Houston was able to do this past year. You know, they were able to win the Challenge Cup and and kind of show themselves as one of the better teams in NWSL now. And, you know, that in small part is due to Ian Fleming's work as their director of strategy and analytics. For the last year and a half, he has been in that role for Houston Dash and the Houston Dynamo. It's worked out obviously a little bit better for the Dash than Dynamo, but point of the matter is he kind of brings a fresh new vision to this Orlando Pride team that hasn't really had a, a GM directly focused on the Pride ever. Uh, well, I lied. Eric Ustruck was, uh, but didn't necessarily have the experience as a GM in the women's soccer world to be able to kind of see that vision out at least with Ian Fleming, he has been working with the Houston Dash for the last year and a half uh, to be able to kind of know the women's game enough to be able to be uh, the tried and true GM of this Orlando Pride team. And it's a big hire because of those things that you talked about. When you people hear analytics, and obviously those have taken over sports in many different places, in baseball, football, basketball. But soccer is the one sport where... It's gotten much bigger over the last few years, but it still definitely lags behind in terms of what these other sports are doing and the opportunities that there are to take advantage of. Now, in Major League Soccer, a lot of teams have been doing this and they've been getting on board, but we're in the NWSL, we're seeing that it's kind of like an untapped market there, and it's going to be very, very interesting to watch how that plays out with this because, you know, we've seen other teams getting on board with it. Um, Kim McCauley, the LA, uh, I can't remember their name. Um, the LA expansion team has, they've hired her to come in and, and kind of run that department and be a part of that department for her. And it's because it's very beneficial to, if you do it, not just to do it, but to do it right. And if Orlando is able to do that, right, they can have a pretty large impact on the way that this team is built on the way that the team plays. And it's so much so moving forward and, kind of getting the pride to finally be successful um, in ways that they haven't yet been. Mm. Yeah, I actually didn't know that Kim had been hired by 
uh, Angel City. Yeah, uh, a few months ago. <laughs> Go figure. Mm-hmm. She does um, recruitment and analytics for Angel City. Yeah, good for her. So yeah, outside of the the draft and the new GM, uh, in terms of the league overall, uh, the season format's going to be a bit different once the schedule comes out. You know, they're they're planning on bringing the Challenge Cup back. Uh, in what format that comes about is still unknown, but there will be a bit of a break in the season. They may not take a break for the Olympics this year because of the condensed schedule and being able to try and finish it out uh, depending on when they start. Yeah, I believe Lisa Barrett said that they won't be doing that, right? Uh, yeah. It's another uh, another big takeaway. Normally they do have that, that little bit of a break, but if they're going to play straight through, which the consensus, the, there's growing belief that the Olympics won't happen altogether, so it probably won't even be an issue. Yeah, uh, there's, there's, I mean, there's a lot that could happen with that uh but point of the matter is to to prepare as if it's going to happen right yeah as because, of now the olympics are taking place this summer right on paper <laughs> right. whether or on not paper. that happens again is much different and the you know little cross that bridge when they get there exactly right uh one other thing that lisa barrett said before the nwsl draft occurred was that the league partnership with u.s soccer is now over that is no longer, uh, you know, U.S. soccer is is helping them, but without controlling them. So they are on their own and they are able to kind of make the decisions for themselves. Uh, that is a big step forward for the NWSL to kind of have their own little bit of independence. Uh, what they do with it from here on in, uh, we will see. I say it should be noted that part of this separation is that teams can now sign these previously allocated national team players on their own and pay them with their actual money rather than U.S. soccer paying that. So that's going to be very interesting to watch how that happens with um, the players that the Orlando Pride have because we've seen players across the league already re-signing. Uh, Portland signed all of their players to new six-figure deals using allocation money. As of right now, we don't know that the Pride have done any of that so far. But that will be something to watch for over the next few weeks and months heading into the season. I'm I'm kind of curious as to how that's going to work with the allocated players because, like, you know, how the the contract workings are with U.S. Soccer paying them. Well, I think these players were originally paid. Yeah, I mean, I think it it might go into the CBA negotiations that they have with U.S. Soccer, but I mean, as far as the way that it's worked before is these players were in their contracts with U.S. Soccer, paid by U.S. Soccer to play for these teams, whereas now it's these players are signing contracts directly with the teams that I imagine is also going to be separate than what they have with the national team. Um, it's like if Alex Morgan's playing for Orlando, Orlando is paying Alex Morgan, and then U.S. Soccer is paying her to play for the national team, like different right. than as it's been before. Yeah, no, I, I I can understand that, but like, is that going into effect this year? Like, is, is that before the season? That yeah, like I said, Portland to... has already um, re-signed several of their has signed their players to new contracts hmm. um, using targeted allocation. 
or allocation, whatever. But are those are those players that weren't under contract at the time, or were they, or were their contracts? No, these are their allocated players that they've already had. Right, but I'm asking, like, were they out of contract to begin with, and then they were out of contract heading into it? Right, because like the Orlando Pride may have had their players signed before to longer term contracts so is that contract now voided and they have to sign a new contract you know how how does that work and it raises a lot of questions put it that way that's a good point so we'll see we'll see uh i'll probably reach out to the club and see what what their take on it is and uh maybe get a uh, a chat with some of the higher ups and uh we'll see we will see uh last thing with the uh I guess NWSL as a whole, Sacramento. Sounds like they're coming. Yeah. Sacramento for what, 2022? Mm-hmm. It sounds like. Yep. You've got 10 teams now with Louisville as the new team. And then Kansas City is back after Utah. Well, that whole situation happened. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, Kansas City, which will be playing under the term kansas city nwsl this year just they such a like solidify can actual you branding. can you not can you not come up with a brand for like uh, 10 minutes yeah i mean can listen, you not I, spend I, the time to just come up with a name real I quickly mean, just for like temporarily like you could just call yourself kansas city football club well i mean that's they were fc kansas city previously fc um, kansas city not kansas city football club it's the same thing football club kansas city kansas just city football switch, club you switch it around I mean, listen, I get where they're cut. Like, the turnaround for this happened so quickly that they didn't want to rush into something. Maybe they wanted to take their time and see what would actually work in the market, what would resonate with people. So I get it. I, I'm fine with it. I mean, it's just a one-year thing. You know, the, the club was bought and moved with, you know, just a couple months, essentially, before they really had to start preparing for the season. So you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. guess you're right. Well, anyway, that's all I got for the Orlando Pride right now. Um, you know, there, there were a number of players that were announced that they're not coming back. Uh, they did actually, before I forget to mention it, they did re-sign Kerry Lawrence and Jordan Listro. Uh, they also re-signed Tony Presley and Marissa Vigiano to new contracts. So uh, all of those players are returning. Also, big congrats to Marta and Tony Presley, they announced their engagement just a couple weeks ago as well. On to MLS and World Soccer news. We're just going to run through this very quickly. Just some stuff that's kind of going on in the world of soccer. Uh, Jordan Morris, he is finally moving on from the Seattle Sounders. He is heading to Swansea on loan with the option to buy. But... Uh, for one of the the U.S.'s best and brightest young talents, uh, certainly an opportunity to be able to prove himself on a bigger stage. What do you think? You know, Morris took a lot of flack for signing with the Sounders. Um, a lot of people said he took the easy route to stay home and be comfortable with his family, and you know, like rather than signing with what Werder Bremen back in like 2015, 2016, I don't listen, you know, players make the choices that are best for them. 
And if Jordan Morris thinks that this is a decision that's going to be best for him long term or best for his career or his life, then so be it. Yep. Yeah. Again, he's 26 years old now. You know, he he's he's been around the league since he was. You know, he's accomplished a lot here too. I mean, he's won two championships with Seattle. He's established himself as a national team player. It's if this is what he wants, if he's ready for a new challenge to embark on something new and to to live a new life, then by all means, go for it. You know, I certainly do not blame him. Right. Now, he, again, he's been affiliated with the club since his youth career. So to say goodbye to something that's been a part of your life for such a long period of time, to be having, you know, born and raised up there, I can understand the the, the want to not leave, but... You know, the, the timing is interesting as well because, like, with COVID and everything happening as it is, there's so much up in the air. There's so much uncertainty. I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. All right. Uh, so that, yeah, Jordan Morris, uh, we will see how he does with Swansea. Swansea currently, by the way, uh, they are not in the Premier League, for those who don't know. Uh, Swansea City is in the championship battling for promotion to the first division. Uh, As of this recording, they are currently second in the league at 46 points, four points behind Norwich City, who are first in the championship. Uh, There is a distinct possibility that uh, Swansea is able to make it to the Premier League if they stay in the top two. And in that case, Jordan Morris will join his buddy Christian Pulisic in the Premier League if they decide to keep him after this loan. That remains to be seen. All right. Other news we can talk about is uh, another former Lion making another move to a new club. Kevin Molino has signed with the champions, Columbus Crew. In a move that I don't think a lot of people saw coming. I assume they did. who also signed BWP right. this offseason. Yeah. So, I mean, comfortable the little rich landing get spot richer. for him. He can go there and, yeah, the rich get richer and Molino doesn't necessarily have to be, I don't know that he was the guy for Minnesota. That'd be unfair to say, but he doesn't have to have such a large um, presence on himself there in Columbus now. So I would have could thought that him- he would want to be the guy, though. Maybe, or maybe just the terms in uh, Minnesota weren't there, or Minnesota wasn't interested in bringing him back, or, you know, who knows, honestly. But I think it's a good landing spot for him. He'll have a chance to kind of be himself while also just maybe gets a little bit more freedom to be him, you know, be how he wants to be on the field without the pressure of having to be the guy or one of the guys. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know, man. He's he's thirty years old. He was he's been playing with with uh, Adrian Heath for the longest period of time. Uh, yeah, you know, get out there now. He's he's got a new coach, a new environment. This could be also something that sets his career off in another trajectory. You know, could be good for him. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't doing bad with Minnesota. You no. know, they offered him the max deal they possibly could. But he yeah. decided to, uh, I think at this point in his career, he wants trophies, not just to be able to be good. Mm. So, 
Yeah. He, he got a taste of that with Orlando City back in the USL and uh, hasn't had anything close to it since. You know, he's he's leaving his comfort zone too, not having been not being with with Adrian Heath anymore. Yeah. So maybe he just be, got uh, sick of the cold. <laughs> that's possible. You know, hot boy can't live in the cold. Well, he's staying in Columbus, so that's still fairly cold. So Compared to different. Minnesota, though, eh, a little bit, yeah. But you know, big big difference. Big hot, big hot difference. boy needs a little bit more warmth in his life. <laughs> All right. Speaking of other Orlando City players, uh, former Orlando City players, Tyler Turner. Remember him? Somewhat. <laughs> Somewhat. Uh, he is currently on trial with a team in Costa Rica. Um, he is. He was supposed to be playing indoor soccer this year with Utica City FC in the MASL. However, with the season being postponed and, and you know a lot of clubs not playing the year up in the Northeast, uh, he has decided to uh, pursue. Uh, continue pursuing his outdoor career uh he joined a uh, a program that helps young players uh basically get trials with different clubs and this this program got him a trial with a club in costa rica and so he is out there now trying to make his way onto a team best of luck to him yes uh, now, uh, other news in the MLS sector of things. Uh, there have been a lot of coaching hires. Chris Armis is now in Toronto. Greg Vanny, who left Toronto, is now in LA. DC and Atlanta have just made some more recent hires. Hernan Losada just joined DC United. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'm trying to remember the guy from Atlanta. It is Gabriel Hines. Argentine disciple of Tata Martino and Miss Marcelo Besa. Yeah, that that would track. It's uh, considered one of the top young managers in South America. Yeah. So yeah, they're, they're trying to catch lightning in a bottle again by having Tata Martino 2.0. Yeah, you know, Atlanta had a brand when Tata Martino left, and they decided to really fudge that up big time by bringing in um, a guy who did not fit that brand, and it failed miserably. So go back to what works, you know, kind of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And they tried to fix it in the worst way possible. I, I want it to be I'm, clear that I don't want Atlanta to succeed, but I hate watching Cubs get in their own way, regardless of who they are. And that's what they did. But like, who who thought it was a good idea to hire Frank DeBoer? A guy who had not won since our last president <laughs> a guy years. who was at one point called by jose Mourinho the worst premier league manager ever mm-hmm. and you're like that's our guy that's the guy that we want running this club into the ground <laughs> <sighs> yeah what has atlanta done well since it won a championship nothing yeah nothing. well I, I will say uh this this just happened actually uh like a few minutes ago, Atlanta United hired Paul McDonough back as the vice president of soccer operations. Yes, yes. I believe that that move was in the works for the last couple of days. But, yeah, to see that, uh, that's funny. Yeah, I mean, good for just, him, a, just within a few minutes of us starting, you know, finishing up. Going back to the roots, yeah. <laughs> the roots. I mean, technically the roots are Orlando City. But, you know, uh, 
I guess maybe he just saw the writing on the wall in in Miami. He's like, ah, we just go back to Atlanta here. They're getting the band back together. I mean, basically, he left and Atlanta went to shit. So he has more of a uh, bargaining chip to be like, hey, <laughs> you guys, you guys, let me uh, let me walk and look what happened. Yeah, you know, Big is best known for being the guy that helped build teams, but it'll, you know, we'll see what happens as he actually stays with the team for a while now it's it's literally it's literally that thanos meme where it's like you could not live with your own failure where did that bring you back to me yeah right (laughs) (laughs) that's it's quite literally that anyway Mm -hmm. um last thing uh in terms of coaching hires miami speaking of them they brought in phil neville phil neville who most recently was coaching the uh, England women's team. Um, and uh, most notably friend of David Beckham is now manager of the MLS side. Listen, I don't, I don't want to go out, put myself out there and be used as receipts for when this inevitably does work out, but just LOL. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It's uh Orlando City went out of their way to be a dysfunctional dumpster fire for five years. And within 12 months, Miami is going down that same route and is appearing to try to outdo Orlando. So there's that. You know, what also struck me as funny is that Orlando City hired a chief soccer operator after their first year, replacing Paul McDonough. Miami has now gone the same route. They have let go of their first coach in a shorter amount of time for a new coach. But, you know, listen. <laughs> this If they just want to keep making fun of themselves and doing this, then I'm all for it. So You know, again, if it, if it works out, good for them. If it doesn't, well, we can all say that we expected it. Yes, 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 yes. All right. Last thing I wanted to mention in terms of MLS is uh, the probably elephant in the room when it comes to talking about MLS is the collective bargaining agreement uh, discussions that the teams and the players are currently having. Uh, teams enacted force majeure to be able to uh, basically rework the CBA. And um, it's it's now back on the table. Um, January 28th is the hard deadline set by the league to have the players basically agree to the new terms or not. Um, it's not as bad as they could have made it when it comes to uh, the the procedures and the the rules they kind of enacted uh, just in this in this interim time. Uh, but it's it's still almost a slap in the face and i believe the mls players association called it that you know for everything that the players went through uh during the pandemic times you know being you know quarantining during the tournament and then playing a full season to then have the league basically say fuck off we want money uh was kind of a slap in the face to them and uh they did not take it very well at the time the new stipulations that have been put into place by the league aren't as uh, drastic as probably some people may have thought for them enacting force major. Uh, it basically just puts a halt on any, you know, uh, 
monetary growth over the next two years just while clubs recoup their losses from this past year right and to be clear it's an extra extra two years so they they want to reenact the cba that was agreed upon but add another two years for essentially meaning that instead of they already lost a year to this past year so now it's five years from this year plus two more which puts it seven years of owners having pretty much control over the growth of the league with the players reaping very little benefit from what they could have had at a much earlier date. It's not good. <laughs> you know, to, in the the last round of negotiations that happened during the summer left the players, left everyone with a bad taste in their mouth. And now they're back at the bargaining table for the third time in 12 months. Like this is just, I don't see a way in which it ends up well, because at the end of this 30 day window, the owners have the ability to rip up the CBA and essentially put a lockout in effect. I don't think that that's going to happen, and I don't think that anyone wants that to happen. But it's hard to look at what's going on, and you're talking about – and listen, not everybody that is a, an owner in Major League Soccer is among the wealthiest people in the country. They're all very wealthy people. But many of the owners in this league have gotten – wealthier as this pandemic goes on they're asking for more they're they can eat the losses in the short term and be fine with it but to continue to come back and ask the players for more just it's hard to see the benefit long term for them to do this and that's why i just can't see this ending in a good way yeah it is definitely extenuating circumstances have kind of led to this and I can understand why owners have decided that this is their best course of action but uh, like the Players Association said it leaves a bitter taste in the mouth of players players just decide to be like you know what we just won't play we'll we'll wait and and, and try and figure this out then the owners are losing even more money mm-hmm. so yeah I think they have more leverage than they have had in the past. And that works obviously out to them. Yeah. It just may it may end up that the season starts much later than we would expect, maybe until like May possibly. You know, the way the way that uh, people are talking, they they seem to think that mid-March is still the target, but May would probably be more tenable due to the situation at hand mm-hmm. yeah none of this is a an ideal situation right now and it's putting the short-term and possibly long-term future of the league in not great thought right now so with that, all that doom and gloom, I guess uh, we'll we'll leave it there. <laughs> yeah, seems like a good place to leave it. Always on a low note. <laughs> Always on a low note. Uh, well, hey, draft Thursday. Orlando City potentially picking up three new players, or two, or one, or none if they trade them all away. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Until then, uh, Gavin, enjoy your day. Enjoy your week. Thank you. We'll well. see you next you time well. we record, which we'll, we'll see when that is. <laughs> Depending <laughs> on uh, our recording schedule as of late, I would say see you in a month. <laughs> yeah, right. 
maybe we get some maybe we get some real news maybe we'll come back next week and talk about the draft and maybe we learn something as well what's next week? yes next so. week is the last week of january yes which that hard which we didn't mention is the hard deadline january 28th for that cba that the owners have a 30-day window so Maybe we'll come back after that and we'll know a lot more about what the league will look like over the next couple of months and if we can expect Major League Soccer back this spring. Yep. So until then, I'm Gavin Eubank. And I'm Austin David. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Orlando Soccer Show, and we will see you when we see you. Bye-bye.